Season 2, Episode 5. We've got Reggie Wilson, CARE 11 Sports Director, talking all things Minnesota sports, particularly the Minnesota Vikings, as well as the Golden Gophers in football. And then we have the return of Charlie Burris, the A to Z Sports Podcast host, talking about the Tennessee football volunteers, number six in the nation before their big matchup against Alabama. All that and more coming up on Episode 28 of Raw Tools. Good morning from a rainy St. Louis, Missouri on a Tuesday. I spent the weekend up in Chicago again, got to see Northwestern rolled by Wisconsin, 42-7. Defensive coordinator Jim Leonard's first game as the interim head coach of the Badgers. And wouldn't you know it, UW played like the hair was on fire. Standout performances from everyone. Quarterback Graham Mertz with five touchdowns, 300 yards, had struggled a bunch in Paul Christ's offense up to this point, and NU made him look like a Heisman winner. And I remember when Braylon Allen, the running back, burst onto the scene. He is still 18 years old and is a stud. The best athlete on the field, the strongest, ran for more than 100 yards and had a throwing touchdown. He passed and took the ball out of the Wildcat, dropped back, and to his credit, was the second-best quarterback on the field that day behind Graham Mertz. So that was fun. Then watched the Chicago Marathon for a bit on Sunday, then went up and sat by the lake, reconnected with some friends, and lo and behold, back in St. Louis to take care of business. Some big NFL news dropped the other day. Carolina fired its head coach, Matt Rule, midway through his third season. It always helps to be good at something. Regardless of what you choose to do in life, you have at least one skill, one strength to play to even when everything goes awry. And if you can lean into that strength, then you can make something of yourself, be successful, at least enjoy some sort of internal fulfillment or happiness. And when I reflect on the Panthers and that rule situation, it's kind of hard for me to feel bad for Coach Rule. He's a man I admire and have for many years. It didn't work out at the professional level. It was 11-27 and overall. The Panthers reeling this season at 1-4. Thought getting Baker Mayfield at quarterback would reveal some upside, but the offense to this point has been really bad. They had to... Joe Brady fell on the sword last year's OC. They bring in Ben McAdoo and nothing really improves. For some coaches, though, you are conditioned to succeed at one level. And Matt Rule, in my opinion, is a fascinating college football coach. I feel like that is his area, his arena to succeed. You can be an inherently good coach and leader and not make it in one particular level. And it goes both ways. No one judges Steve Spurrier on the seasons he spent in Washington. That was a dysfunctional organization in the early 2000s. One might argue that it still is. And Carolina is still in a state of flux. They don't have everything together. They leaned on Cam Newton for all of his prime years. And outside of that, it's been on and off. Nick Saban struggled to make it work in Miami. 
the change in responsibility and prep work from college to pros, the routine, the schedule, it knocks down even the most elite coaches. You can ask Jacksonville about last year's experiment. Matt Rule is a guy who's built for the college level. He's from State College, Pennsylvania, a walk-on at Penn State. Learned from some of the best minds in the game. Knowledge on both sides of the ball started out on defense, then became an offensive mind. And he has the track record for success. He comes in year one, tears down the program to the studs. Only keep the people who want to be in the building, then recruit your own, and then by year three, you compete at an elite level. That's worked for Matt Rule at both of his major stops in his coaching career. Temple, where they became a 10-win team, and then Baylor, that made it to the conference championship game in the Big 12, is still competing at a high level under Dave Aranda. Matt Rule is owed $40 million right now out of a buyout. Big Tep, David Tepper, gave him that seven-year deal up front. It was a big gamble. It was a big risk for a coach with a lot of promise, and it just didn't work out. You have subpar quarterback play. That'll doom you. Never had much of a line. Poor choices in offensive coordinator. Yeah, it was time to part ways. I think Carolina fans are over the moon. Careful what you wish for. We'll see. There will be a great coaching carousel, given the amount of people that didn't get hired a season ago. Byron Leftwich, Eric Bieniemy, would be a fascinating choice for this job. And Matt Rule will find work soon. A lot of people I've talked to this week say Nebraska would be an ideal fit. And that is an ultimate rebuilding job. And they've been in a state of rebuilding for some time. Mentioned Matt Rule has the Big Ten roots from Penn State. Take on another Big Ten program. There are a couple of schools out west in that Big Ten West division that could benefit from new leadership or a new voice. Not that I'm naming names. Nebraska is one of them. That is a program where you can win a national title. Another place? Boulder, Colorado. If you give them the occasional fifth down, sure, they can win a national championship. They should be on the phone with Matt Rule. And by the way, that comparison I made earlier about coaches not making it to the NFL from college, it also works in the reverse. Lovey Smith struggled quite a bit at Illinois, and he took the Bears to a Super Bowl. Herm Edwards is another example, met his demise earlier this year at Arizona State. You play to win the game. Some coaches are conditioned to work at a certain level, in a certain arena. Matt Rule belongs at the college level. He's a good coach. I believe he can be an elite coach. Now it's time to find a permanent good fit for him to really shine. I am happy to introduce our first guest this week. He's the sports director at Care 11 News in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the Legacy Station NBC affiliate. He's a St. Louis native. And I consider him a friend, Reggie Wilson. Reggie, how are you? Good, Luke. Appreciate you having me on, my friend. It's fantastic. It's been uh, it's been a long time looking for ways to collaborate, and I'm glad that we're finally getting some one-on-one FaceTime here over Zoom. You watching this Monday night football game right now? 
Yeah, yeah. Wild. Wild stuff. Uh, waiting on the Chiefs to show up. Mm. Maybe they will. Um, <laughs> you have just told me that there's never a dull moment in Minnesota sports. And right now, you're covering a couple of four and one teams that are primed for for good seasons. And you just celebrated uh, your one year anniversary at CARE a couple of weeks ago. Um, how mm-hmm. has the ride treated you so far? So far, so good, man. I think one thing about Minnesota sports that is really kind of interesting. When I first got here, there's a guy named Randy Shaver, who is our evening anchor. And he has done sports at the station uh, for a long time uh, before moving over to that evening anchor spot. He started uh, the high, <clears throat> excuse me. He started the high school football show uh, 39 years ago. And it's just so funny. He has such a, a great pulse of the market. And he was like, hey, he's like the Minnesota sports fan is a sophisticated fan. And when I heard it, I was just like a sophisticated fan. Like, what does that mean? And I think over time, since I've been here, I've understood what he meant. And I think every every fan base is like a diehard, right? That's the thing. But this is different up here. It's a little different. I think what makes Minnesota sports so interesting is how knowledgeable, but not just knowledgeable, but just locked in the fans are. And they are not afraid to call you out on some stuff. If they feel like you don't have it right, they will let you know. And sometimes, you know, they call it Minnesota nice, you know, the – the uh, is one of the most like passive aggressive places on earth <laughs> that they call it, but they'll come through, man, and they'll they'll tell you like, hey, you don't have that right. You're wrong about this. You need to do better. And you know, last year during the Vikings football season, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm a, a tongue in cheek guy. Sometimes, sometimes I like to you know be sarcastic, mix it up. I'm a dry humor type of a guy. That's just who I am. And, man, I think now people kind of understand, like, what I'm doing. But back then they were like, excuse me, who are you to talk about our teams like this and to say this and to say that? And I'm like, y'all, it's just a little humor (laughs) that I, you know, infuse into some of the truth. You know, behind every joke usually is some truth. (laughs) But – you know, you gotta, you kind of have to flow with me, flow with me a little bit. And so uh, I think, you know, people are, are kind of understanding that a little bit. But the big part about Minnesota sports is misery. People, you know, I came from Cincinnati and that was something that I kind of understood because, you know, if you're a Bengals fan, you're a Reds fan, people are in misery there. But it's kind of next level here, you know, uh, outside of, the Minnesota Lynx, who have several championships, you know, spanning the last decade, they just have not won here. And people are always hoping for the best, expecting the worst with Minnesota sports. And so it's just kind of funny. And that's whether you're talking about the Timberwolves, the Wild, the Vikings, the Twins, you know, the the Twins – you know, they won the World Series back in the day, but they have, you know, they're, they're pretty much, other than the Lynx, the only other 
winner here in town, but even they haven't, they have a, a 22 year or something like that, like playoff drought right now where they, they're waiting on uh, a win. It's been since, ooh, I'm sorry, my math is bad. It's been since 2004 that they've won a playoff game. And so there's, there's some misery here, man. Like it's, you know, you and I are from St. Louis, the Wild <laughs> have met their demise by the hand of the Blues several times. It's rough. It's rough. And mm-hmm. so this this four and one start for the Vikings right now, people are like, heck yeah, we'll take it because you just know the other shoe is going to drop. <laughs> we got to have you on sometime during hockey season because I remember you came down for that Wild Blue series this past year. I saw you and Hannah Yates were at the um, the Enterprise Center, and I just thought that was super cool to have two St. Louis powerhouses doing the thing there. That's (laughs) incredible. Let's, uh, why don't we anticipate some misery for a second here? Because the Vikings are (laughs) off to a great start. Um, They're going in um, to face a Miami team that's been knocked on its butt a couple of times, but through the first five games this season, what are your main concerns uh, with Minnesota? The main concern is the, the defense for me. If you look at it, you know, the game against the Bears, they were up 21 to three. And then they allowed 19 unanswered and allowed the Bears to go up 22 to 21 in the fourth quarter. And what was interesting is last year, I don't know if you remember, but under Mike Zimmer last year, just about every game came down to the last possession. And for more times than not, those games ended up not going in the Vikings' favor. Well, this year, the three games that have come down to the last possession, the Vikings have won. You kind of worry because as a fan, you say, well, how many times do you play with fire before you get burned? And you're like, okay, they just meet the right team and they're going to get burned. You know, the, the week two game against Philly, They just were outmatched from the jump. But the defense was a problem. You know, a lot of people are noticing the soft shell coverage that the defensive backs play. You know, quarterbacks are getting a chance to drop back and just play pitch and catch. You saw it against Detroit the week after the uh, Philly game. Jared Goff was fantastic. He came out on fire. And it's Jared Goff we're talking about here, you know. And you're like, wow, like what's what's going on? This defense is is a little troubling. You look at the talent that they have everywhere. You got talented guys all across the board from the line. You got Zadarius Smith, Daniil Hunter rushing the passer. Two of the best linebackers, I think, in all of the NFL with Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks, both sideline to sideline guys. And then on the defensive backfield, you know, you got Cam Dantzler, Patrick Peterson is, is you know, aging veteran, not really sure how many more years he has left in the league. And Harrison Smith, also aging veteran as well. They drafted Lewis Seen. He unfortunately broke his leg um, last week in London. And then also they drafted Andrew Booth Jr., who they were hoping, you know, he kind of had a first round grade in this past uh, draft, but he comes over. All of a sudden, he gets hurt week one. He hasn't played since then. And so you look at it, 
they haven't really gotten as much pressure as they did that first week against Green Bay when they were just all up in Rodgers' grill. And then the defensive backfield just letting up far too many chunk plays, far too many first downs. They play this bend but don't break style defense. And as I've been saying on the podcast on Care 11, that defense mighty bendy, mighty bendy this year. <laughs> there is a significant difference, though, between losing on the last possession and then winning you know, these small victories. What do you attribute that change in fortune to besides just luck? So this team has a different attitude. There's a different belief. I do think that Mike Zimmer's voice got a little stale around here after eight years. And, you know, that's just kind of tough. He was that disciplinarian style, old school mentality head coach that, you know, just had his own own way of doing things. But, you know, I feel like the players weren't necessarily responding in a way that allowed them to be successful, especially the last couple of years. This year, Kevin O'Connell seems to he seems to have, you know, infused a new like life and energy into this team. And they believe, and they believe in the guy that's calling the plays. They believe in the guys that are, you know, leading them out there on the field. Their, you know, belief in their plan, game in and game out. And also, look, this offense the last few years has kind of been this conservative offense, you know, run first, all that. They've kind of gotten up with the times with Kevin O'Connell. You know, this Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan style. He's a pupil of both of those guys' uh, style of offense where, you know, you, you see a lot of window dressing. You see a lot of motion and just crazy formations and, you know, different things that, you know, can confuse the defense. And I do think that offensively he has a really good game plan together. And he also plays well to his quarterback strengths. You know, Kirk Cousins is not a guy that, you expect to be off script much doing, you know, Patrick Mahomes type stuff. When he drops back, you know, couple, you know, couple times a game, you know, you may see him, you know, move around in the pocket a little bit, but you're seeing him two, three seconds after dropping back. He's ready to let that ball go. And that's the style of offense that he's comfortable playing. And I think, this offense has done a really good job of playing to his strengths and playing, you know, uh, an aggressive style of football. They just attack and attack and attack. And I think that is also a big reason for their success as well. They never feel like they're out of it because of one the the skill and the talent that they have, you know, you, you boast an offense with Dalvin cook, Alexander Madison, Irv Smith, Jr. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, K.J. Osborne now into the mix as well. Like, that's quite the talented, you know, assembly of guys. And so I think you mix that talent with the play calling and the offense that they've installed. That gives them a lot of confidence that they're going to be in, a, in every game that they play. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that belief in the system. How comfortable does Kirk Cousins look from your point of view? He's not all the way there yet. And – it's funny you asked that question because after the game against the Bears, we asked him, like, hey, 
are you still figuring things out in his offense? And he said, you know, the last three years playing in similar offense, different play callers, but same offense. He's like, my comfort level at the end of last year mixed with where I am right now is not all the way there yet. He's like, look, I have um, so many things that I'm still learning about this offense, you know, He's played with Kevin O'Connell before. They, they you know, matched up in Washington several years ago. And now, you know, with him being in the systems that he's been in since he left KOC, it's been a learning process for him. And, look, he's getting more comfortable as, as time goes on. I think yesterday we saw the most checks at the line that we've seen from him all season especially, you know, under Zimmer. It's like, look, they call a play, run the play, do it how we call it, and keep it moving. But KLC is giving him autonomy to, you know, make this offense his own. And we've kind of seen that, you know, him checking into other things that could work based on what he's seeing. And he's getting more comfortable uh, day in and day out. And I think he said yesterday, like, look, we're growing. We're still kind of working on that synergy. But he has a great relationship with Kevin O'Connell. The two of them are really, you know, kind of, you know, that match that you like to see from quarterback and head coach or or at least from play caller and head coach. KLC just happens to be both. Looking ahead to Sunday, what's the key for success against the Dolphins? You know, it's being aggressive. If you look at it these last three weeks, they've just allowed teams to be too close. The Lions game was different because the Lions actually came out and was really aggressive from the start. Four of six on fourth downs, I believe they were that game. It was just kind of ridiculous. They were they were going for it. They obviously didn't think that they had a punter. <laughs> and so, you know, you look at what they did uh, last week against the Saints, like they should have jumped out on them and, and really taken advantage, like, that was a, a game that they should have really kind of stepped on it a little bit. You look at yesterday, 21-3. KLC preaches continuing to stay aggressive, but there's been something going on with this team where they have not, in any of their games this season, put together four complete quarters of football. Anytime you let a team come back and score 19 unanswered, like the third quarter against the Bears, they look lifeless. It was just like what the, the team that we saw in the first half and the team that we saw in the third quarter, totally different. And so I think the Dolphins have a lot of skill position players. We still don't know who exactly is going to play quarterback for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we thought that, you know, it would be Teddy Bridgewater going against his former team. By the way, still beloved here, Teddy B is. People love him here in Minnesota still. Uh, but, you know, with his concussion, with Tua not being close, we may see, you know, rookie quarterback Skylar Thompson. The Vikings don't have a good uh, showing, a good record against second and third string quarterbacks. Uh, you can look at the example of Cooper Rush last season, filling in for Dak on Halloween. Uh, as well but you know they put together four good quarters of football on Sunday and they should be able to go out there and do what they need to do and they should be able to go out there and jump on these guys especially if there's a, a third string quarterback going yeah 
I covered Oklahoma football for a couple of years and it seemed like Skylar Thompson had been at Kansas state for about eight years by the time he graduated. He's, <laughs> yes. he is beloved by that fan base too. Um, you pay attention to some university of Minnesota, golden Gophers football. They were in the top 25 a couple of weeks ago, got stopped by a tough Purdue team, but they're the West is anyone's game in the big 10 uh, in which areas do they need to most improve heading down the stretch? Well, look, the defense is strong. I think they just need a little bit more offensive consistency. You know, 2019, this team was strong with Tanner Morgan, who was the quarterback back then. He's still the quarterback right now. You talk mm-hmm. about Skylar Thompson, uh, Tanner Morgan's seventh-year quarterback right now. It's, it's kind of crazy. But the chemistry that he had with offensive coordinator Kirk Sharaka, they've kind of captured it again. Lost it a little bit against Purdue. Like, you would think that if they were going to stub their toe against anybody, it would have been Michigan State maybe and not Purdue. But they whooped Michigan State. They rolled against those guys, and they stubbed their toe against Purdue. And now going into number 24, Illinois, after a bye week, like, they got to get after it. You said it. You know, the West is anybody's for the taking, but, you know, they need to go out there and actually take it. They get some good news. Mo Ibrahim, who, you know, suffered the season-ending injury in the first week of the season last year. You know, he's he's Iron Man. He's back uh, this weekend, and he said that he should be good to go with that ankle injury that he's been dealing with. So that helps them when they have a, a balanced run game. They usually are able to run the football really well, even with all the injuries that they had last season. You're talking about fourth fifth-string running backs putting together 100-plus-yard rushing performances. And so they got their top two guys with Ibrahim, Trey Potts. Um, I think the run game is going to be essential to them. That's what they always try to establish anyway moving forward. But, you know, that should open up lanes for, you know, Tanner Morgan and this offense to really kind of get cooking as well. Even without his top target, Chris Altman-Bell now for the last two games, they – they need to kind of get it going. They got a, a top flight, you know, should be an NFL tight end. Um, they also, you know, have an emerging couple of receivers as well. It's time to get after it. And I think, you know, this weekend presents a really good opportunity against Brett Bielema and Illinois. Mm-hmm. What are you working on right now, Reggie, that you're excited about? Man, what am I not? There's, there's um, several things. So, the Timberwolves season starts next week. And so um, this is a really big year for them. And also an interesting year after, you know, their new president of basketball operations came in, Tim Connolly, over from Denver, makes the splash trade of the offseason, getting Rudy Gobert in a league where everybody's zigging, they're zagging. They're going big. These two twin towers with Cat and Rudy Gobert. I'm really interested to see how that's going to work, and a lot of people are as well. So I'm looking forward to talking to those twin towers. Uh, got a story that I'm working on with D'Angelo Russell. He's coming into a uh, contract year this year. A lot of people, especially a lot of the Timberwolves players, at Media Day a couple weeks ago were talking about how this Rudy Gobert trade actually makes – D'Lo better, works better for 
what his skill set is. And so working on a story about him because he seems to be just this cool, calm, you know, collected under pressure guy right now. He's a new father as of a couple of weeks ago as well. Like it just seems to have a cool level perspective about things. Um, and then also, you know, we got the, the, the Thursday night game coming up on Thanksgiving uh, that we're working on an hour special for as well. So yeah. got a couple of things that we're working on for that. It's funny. It's just like, not only are we working on Thanksgiving, but we are working, working <laughs> on Thanksgiving. So, you know, that's interesting, but it should be a lot of fun uh, getting ready for that uh, Thanksgiving night matchup. So a few things that we're working on with that show, a couple of sit downs, a couple of things, you know, that, that we're working on with that as well. And then the wild season starts on Thursday. It's, it's a, a really, really busy time right now with a lot of teams going right now. But, you know, a lot, a lot, you know, if we're talking about Thanksgiving early, a lot for me to be thankful for as a sportscaster because <laughs> we get a chance to talk about and, and cover all, all of these happenings here on the Minnesota sports scene. I love the attitude. I look forward to watching the D'Angelo Russell feature as well as your Thanksgiving special. I know you all are going to crush it. One last thing before you go. Where is Matt Rule coaching next season? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. If he was swinging for the fences and he just really wanted like his redemption tour or what, you know, whatever you want to call it. He resurrected Baylor like that was incredible. If he really was, you know, you know, running down, you know, doing the, you know, the Sam Cassell, I think it would be Nebraska. Like that, if he could turn that thing around in Nebraska, they would probably build him a corn statue. They would build a statue of Matt Rule made out of corn. He seems like a perfect fit. Could be there. Could be Colorado. Um, selfishly, if he went to our alma mater, that would have been fine too. But maybe we're not ready for that conversation. Oh man, you ready? You already kicking drink to the curb, huh? I've been done. <laughs> I've been done for a minute. <laughs> I think I'm done too. <laughs> you say that. I'm. I'm pretty done with him. Yeah. All right, Reggie Wilson. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for your time. Go crush it, and uh, look forward to watching your work at Care Eleven. All right. Thanks so much, Luke. Appreciate it. Charlie Burris is back. Charlie is one of the most sought after busiest men related to the University of Tennessee Volunteers football program. All of all country wants a piece of Charlie Burris. And I, being his friend of more than six years and fascinated by the, the curly brunette reddish hair that I see across the screen for me on Zoom, welcome in Charlie Burris the co-host of the Big Orange Podcast on A to Z Sports with Zach Reagan. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing well. That's that's too kind. Um, I, I have been in extremely high demand. A whole two people have asked me uh, to talk this week. And then I, I actually asked another uh, person who's in national media to do an interview this week. And uh, they big time me. They turned me down. I, w- I won't out who it is, um, but it's somebody that a lot of people would probably know. And uh, they were like, oh, I'm too busy this week. So I'm not <laughs> I'm not prominent enough to get national media members onto my own show. But <laughs> you are very prominent. Did they let you down in a kind way? They did. They they were they were good. And it's a cool person. I, I don't 
blame them. Uh, and I think they were actually too busy. So it's, it's all right. So we don't have to prey on their downfall. When I was in between jobs after Knoxville, I did, I did the handwritten letter thing because I wasn't looking, Mm. I, I wasn't trying to like land a job for people. I was just trying to gain insight from people. And so I reached out to all the sports announcers and talent that I admired, male, female, didn't matter where they were, who they covered, all that. And I was surprised by the ones who did respond because they, I mean, it, it made my life at the time and I still hold on to those. Uh, and then the ones who didn't, I was always like, okay, we'll see that how it happens. And then it, it can be pretty telling for sure. And, I've had and, very similar experience. And then a year, a year later, Tom Brenneman's off the air and you're just like, huh, I wonder why. <laughs> Let me, I, I'll, I'll give somebody Great. Barrett Salee, I've never come into contact with somebody in national media who's more gracious. I think he's, dude's been awesome anytime I ever ask him to do so. So I'll give him a shout out as somebody who's great without bringing down the person the big time me this week. Yeah, he's great. I always thought um, Peter Burns was a good one. And his um, yeah his producer as well was really good about reaching out to, to media people at the local level. Hmm. Well noted. Maybe I need to get him. He is not the national guy that turned me down. <laughs> okay, okay. I wasn't trying to do a process of elimination there because I mean, <laughs> national media these days could mean anyone. I was in a, some like Turkish website took one of my sarcastic tweets about baseball once. There's like MLB analyst makes bold Juan oh. Soto prediction. And I, I saw it first. And then my boss came to me the next day and was like, did you see this? And I was like, yeah. It's funny, right? <laughs> big time. You you hit the big time when the Turks are uh, are reusing your. Tweets. I couldn't even read the the dadgum article. I just saw my name and I saw a tweet <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's funny. Um, number three, Alabama visits Rocky Top to go up against number six, undefeated, five and zero, Tennessee. Charlie, why is Tennessee going to win this game? It's a great question. Um, I, it's crazy that you can ask that, and I don't go, <laughs> oh, we, we know this is all a joke. Tennessee could actually beat this Alabama team, man. And it's insane to say that, but they went in to LSU and laid the smack down on those boys. They, they weren't messing around, 40 to 13. Tennessee has a Heisman contender, at quarterback. They have a solid couple of running backs. Honestly, they have a solid three running backs. Currently, just one of them is really young and green. Um, then they have an incredible set of wide receivers that's getting better every single week. And then the defense, the the defensive line has been a stone wall last uh, couple of big games. And then uh, the secondary is there. They still have some work to do. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I mean, they're they're just getting better every week and kind of putting together a really complete team. And it's been unbelievable to see. I, I it's hard to think of another word. Cause that really is truly the word that, that gets overused. This is really unbelievable. I did not think that this would happen. And uh, now that it's actually here, it's hard to process because we haven't actually felt this good about Tennessee football in 20 years. <laughs> so um it, it's unreal. Now, how how can they beat Alabama? Hinden Hooker has the game of his life. He has the, the Heisman moment. 
Um, Cedric Tillman comes back and contributes in a big way. The guys that have been stepping up these last couple of weeks, Brew McCoy, Jalen Hyatt have big games. Jabari Small at running back has a big game. The defense steps up. You get a big contribution uh, from, from a guy like Byron Young, who had a big game against LSU. Uh, the secondary steps up. You have... You have a guy probably out for this game after he got arrested yesterday, uh, who's your, your starting safety. Um, so you got to replace him. The person that replaces him has to step up and really have a nice game. Uh, and then, Oh, in the offensive line, they got to play against Will Anderson, which uh, that is an extremely tall order. And so they got to have a big game too. all of that combined. And you got to hope that Alabama makes a bunch of mistakes and makes it as easy on you as possible. And I said this, if, if Bryce Young doesn't play, and I I don't know, from the chatter around that program, it seems really tenuous. I, I've kind of seen, like, sort of the chatter is, like, they're being more optimistic than the situation might actually be with him. So even if he does play, he might not be 100%. Who knows? Um, but if he doesn't play, there's a scenario here where Tennessee wins by two touchdowns over Alabama, I think, in my personal opinion. They'll, they'll struggle to score the football. Alabama will struggle to score and Tennessee does not struggle to score. So I, I don't know. We'll see, but that, that's how they do it. Just play a perfect football game and then you're, <laughs> they'll be good. Right. It's not that hard. Seems like the natural Tennessee fan reaction to any problem is just go play a perfect game. How hard yeah, could yeah. it be? That's all I ask. <laughs> Alabama did run into a lot of problems last week at Texas a and I watched that game. Special teams were off. Um, offense did not get going. I mean, they won that game by one score or one possession game on the final play. And it seemed like, you know, they're, they're at this stage right now where they're going to light a fire underneath them and have this come to Jesus moment right before they head into the rivalry game. But uh, Bryce Young, there's, that's not really a thing to mess around with. It's the AC joint yeah. in his shoulder, which if he re aggravates that, then the whole season postseason kind of comes into question and it seems like the backup Milrow is just not equipped to handle the workload that Bryce Young did what advantage would Alabama have having Bryce Young in this game it's two exact opposite styles of quarterback essentially Milrow can't throw the ball so all he does is run that plays exactly into Tennessee's hands Tennessee's been incredibly good against the run so far it was like 65 yards rushing from anthony richardson against florida i think lsu total ran for 55 or something i'm uh i'd have to look that back up but it was something really impressive really held him down so that just plays directly into tennessee's hands if milrose the guy bryce young could throw the ball on you and tennessee's secondary is weak it's the weakest spot on the entire team and so I think you're looking if Bryce Young plays Tennessee's best bet is to get into a shootout and have the ball last. Uh, that is to me, that's kind of how the game would work out. Uh, if, if everything goes as it seems like it should, but maybe they land a hit on Bryce Young, if he plays and he re-aggravates that shoulder. And then what does Alabama do? I mean, I, I, that's, Surely something they have to be thinking about, and I'm sure it is. Saban said today he's hopeful Bryce Young will play. It sounds like they're going to give him antler spray or give him a shot of whatever they got to give him. 
and he's going to be out there. It, that seems risky to me, man. You got national championship aspirations, and you could still win a national championship losing to Tennessee. And and I'm not saying please Alabama give us give us the game. I I would love to not give Alabama fans if Tennessee ends up winning this game. I don't want to give Alabama fans the the talking point of being like, well, it was against a backup quarterback, whatever. I don't want to give them that. I want to beat Bryce Young. But if you're Alabama, you're looking long-term here. There's still – Tennessee can beat them. This game's in Neyland, and they're going to have that crowd behind it. There's, there's other circumstances working into this besides just purely like Tennessee's having a nice season. Um, Tennessee can beat them, but Alabama's still a top-three team in America, and I don't think that's even in question. Like they, they have, in my opinion, the best college football player in America, Will Anderson on their team, one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best running backs, their wide receiver room is fine. Um, the, but you run into problems after those pieces, but you know, it's, it's still a really good football team. And so they got to be looking long-term, especially with Georgia. I mean, that's who they're going to play in the SEC championship game. And you're, you know, you're not going to be Georgia without <laughs> Bryce Young. You're just not going to do it. So I, I'll be interested to see what they do. Seems like a foregone conclusion that Georgia would be the representative from the East, but who knows? Maybe we have a different discussion after this week. If they do, if they do win That's this true. week, if the Vols do win this week, Charlie, I am bringing you back on here and there won't be a, do you want to? It'll be a, you're coming on the, the dadgum show. <laughs> I'll make it work. I'll make it work. I, I mean, that. It is true. Win or lose this week. Uh, the Georgia game, if Tennessee loses no other games, the Georgia games for the SEC championship. I mean, yeah. or for the for the spot in the SEC championship, so to speak. Um, so even if you lose your sort of your season still out in front of you, if you're Tennessee, which makes them, you know, they're just playing with house money this week, which is great, too. Yeah. You know? And the rest of the East is, is pretty weak. And we've, we've seen it before that Alabama is kind of the mirror of college football and how you perform against them will dictate the national view of your program, the state of your program. We saw Texas lost to them and actually climbed in the rankings, which I thought was interesting. I kind of expected the same thing from A&M this past week. Even with Bryce Young's status questionable, Alabama is still favored by a touchdown. In Neyland, last time I looked, there could be some other factors into that. You mentioned Will Anderson, perhaps a Heisman candidate on the defensive side, kind of a, a dark horse candidate, supposed to be one of the best athletes in the draft. What issues does he cause that might limit Tennessee on offense? Yeah, he's just going to get up in your business. And Tennessee very consciously works extremely quick on offense to get the ball out so that you don't get sacked. Uh, Hinden hooker is really great with his legs and has great pocket presence and great awareness. Uh, I mean, it's one of the things that has made them sort of the Heisman contender that he's become this season. Um, and so uh, he, he just gets all up in your business. As far as that stuff goes, he's just going to get back there, disrupt your backfield. And, I think that is one of the big things that could throw off hooker that could throw off the offensive line or the run game is just, he disrupts those things and you can't get going because Tennessee's offense is so much about flow and feel and working with what the defense gives you things like that. And if you can disrupt that as defense, I mean, really the only teams that were truly able to do that last year for 
an entire game was Georgia. Alabama couldn't even do it. Tennessee scored uh, a decent amount of points against Alabama last year, 20, 20 some 20 plus points last week. I don't remember the exact score, but yeah. um, they put up some points and uh, this offense is better. This offense is more fine tuned, more experienced, more talented, deeper uh, than it was last year. And so they're going to be really disruptive and they're going to be good. But I personally, I still think Tennessee is going to get theirs in this one. Uh, and yeah, he, he may lay some licks on you, but just minimize that and go from there. Cause it's hypel is such a preacher of on to the next play, on to the next play, on to the next play. Don't, you know, leave it all behind, leave it all behind. You, you can even see and, and really good or bad. He's kind of like, don't get too hyped. If you do something amazing on the next play, on the next play, like they'll have, they'll launch a 40 yard pass, beautiful, amazing play. And the wide receiver doesn't get up and do a dance and do all of this stuff. He immediately hands the ball to the ref and gets on the line of scrimmage. That's hypo style. And so it, even if they do, you know, Will Anderson does get to you a couple of times. I think they'll, they'll stay focused. And especially Hinton Hooker, the kid's been unflappable this season. So, um, I, I, I think they'll be all right on the offensive side of the ball. I, I'll, I'll say this: if Alabama is really able to stop this offense, they deserve a ton of credit because it's borderline unguardable when it's really working at the top end of its ability. So, I, I just have to give them that honestly. If they are able to do it, I remember last year Tennessee hung with them at Bryant Denny for about three quarters before things started to unravel. And I could be wrong because I was watching the game at Oktoberfest in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm pretty sure Cedric Tillman had a big role to play in putting the pressure on that game. I think he had a touchdown. I could be wrong, Um, but it would mean a lot for this offense if they had him and Gerald Mincy back at tackle for this game. And, and honestly, kind of surprising that they were able to put up 40 points against LSU without him. So you got to imagine that the vibes will be good um, if they can be healthy and, and put their best foot forward. Yeah, the, the Tillman situation is still pretty tenuous, it seems like. It, there's kind of a feeling like even if he does come back, he might not be 100%. I think that's okay because I think his time being out has actually been good for this offense because they learned a lot about themselves because they figured out that brew McCoy is a monster that they figured out that Jalen Hyatt is even more of a monster than we already realized he was. And, uh, Ramel Keaton was making some incredible plays. You have backups now squirrel white. who's a fre- true freshman. He's 18 year old kid making plays. He, he had a really important third down conversion in that LSU game. Well, really important. Tennessee still would have won the game, but he it was one that kept a really nice drive going. And so I, they, they're just digging deep into this just treasure trove that they have of dudes at that wide receiver position. And it's building trust between those guys and, and Hooker. And because he was leaning really hard on Tillman, you saw in the Pittsburgh game, he just was really leaning on Tillman. And now I think he's got a whole set of guys that he trusts because they were all making plays through these last two big games. So yeah, Tillman coming back at this point, 
And this is the scary thing, I think, to the rest of, of America and people that have to play Tennessee. Tillman at this point is gravy because Tennessee will beat you without him. They'll they beat two top 25 teams without him. I, I, that's, that says it all right there. So um, good luck to anybody that has to guard that offense. I, you know, uh, may God have mercy on your soul. An interesting parallel. The Vols are without Cedric Tillman. The Dallas Cowboys, 4-0 without their starting quarterback, Dak Prescott. And it's just, it must have been this meeting of the minds to get to the heart of like, how can we succeed when we're not forcing the ball through one person or trying to play to one person's strengths? I'm not saying it's a one-to-one correlation, but I find the storylines kind of fascinating that in years prior, if Tennessee's offense lost, I mean, let's just say hypothetically Josh Dobbs went down in 2016 and you couldn't improvise in that offense at all. You had like Quentin Dormady behind there instead. Um, the, the season would have been lost and that's not to not Quentin, um, but it was just, there were certain things that Dobbs could do that other people couldn't. And you relied too heavily on that. Seems like Tennessee doesn't have the one person to hang on to. They got a good leader at quarterback, but otherwise, you mentioned that anyone can step up at any time. They don't have to pay their dues. They can be a freshman. They can attack. That's that's exactly it. And it's it's what makes them such a scary prospect for opposing defense coordinators. They they just have layers of good guys and schemes and everything. Because for for the uninitiated, you know, hypo sort of the signature thing that he does with these receivers. He put, puts them way out wide, like it at like the sideline and just stretches these defenses. And then he plays within that, within the sort of chaos that that creates because it strains these defenses and, you know, maybe he'll use it to get an advantage in the run. Maybe he'll use it to just stretch out your secondary. He'll hit you over the top. Maybe he just uses a dude who has one-on-one speed like Jalen Hyatt, and he just beats you deep. You know, it, it there's there's a ton that he does within that that kind of creates this. I, I saw somebody, it was actually in our comments on our show today, somebody referred to it as a cheat code offense. I thought it was a great description. Like, it really is. He just, he he schemes these guys open. Like, I I watch it, and I almost go like, I think I could get open if I was playing wide receiver for Josh Heifel right now. <laughs> like, it's that good at times um but it is also really predicated on on flow and feel and looking across the line from you what the defense is doing and then you switch the play according to that according to what you see and that's where hooker's ability really comes in he's great at that vision great at decision making and and elevates that offense to an entire other level that i think they haven't found with a guy like joe milton who's behind him and uh you you just add all of that together between Heupel, Golish's offensive coordinator, even though Heupel's kind of the mastermind, you you add all of that with Hooker and all of these dudes, and it's just this magic potion that they've they've found. And it's fascinating to to watch because I, I thought he'd be good. I thought he'd flip this offense and, and have it going, but it literally went from one of the worst offenses in America. To la- last week, I, I think they got dethroned by Ohio State this week. But last week, Tennessee had the number one most productive offense in America. It went from literally zero to 100 almost overnight, 18 months. <laughs> Real quick. 
absolutely wild. Absolutely <laughs> wild. And aside on good offensive play calling, I started in Knoxville in 2016, so I never got the Mike Bajakian experience mm. until, until now because I'm covering Northwestern. Ah. And um, I hate it. I just hate it. Um, <laughs> so many, in the, it's so much in the flat. It's so many like two yard screens. It's, um, it's, it, it's rough. I watched them just get steamrolled by Wisconsin. It was, it was bad. Um, Charlie, how are you spending game day? So uh, it, it's actually been awesome. I have always been somebody who really loves going to games. I still am. Uh, but A to Z Sports, they now pay me to not go. And I just watch at the house, and then I do a halftime and post-game show with former Vols quarterback Jonathan Crompton. And um, I honestly I really enjoy it. It's been so awesome, even though, you know, you might say like, oh, you didn't get to go to the Florida game. You're not going to get, what if Tennessee wins and you don't get to be there? It, I, I went, I guess I went to so many games covering the team that it just, I'm just not. And, and I mean, as a student, I was a student at Tennessee for six years. I've been, and I've lived in Knoxville my entire life. I've been to 10 billion Tennessee football games. Um, and they're, they're a magical experience every single time. But it's also become, I, I truly love, obviously Tennessee winning makes this exponentially better, but truly love getting on uh, the live stream after the games and just talking to fans through, with the comments and talking yeah. to Crompton on there and feeling that energy and getting people's immediate reaction to what just happened. It's, it, yeah, they, they pay me but it's definitely something that I would probably still love to do for free. <laughs> like it is, and that's what, that's when, you know, that's when you're doing something. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's genuinely really reignited my, my kind of fire. Cause at, at the end, when I left the, the radio show with Swain, um, I mean, that whole thing was, was great, but I had just lost, any passion. I went back and I, I talked about it last time I was on here a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I've gone back and I have a, a day job now and I do that. And this whole season, this is still just my sort of side gig. Um, and it's perfect because I just get to get on here and shoot the breeze with a bunch of Tennessee fans. They go wild over all this stuff. And it's this fun thing. And it's like reignited this passion in me to just talk about Tennessee sports. It's been, it's been really awesome. And I think it's translating too, because our, our numbers have been through the roof this season. I think again, Tennessee winning helps all of that. Winning is good for business. Yeah. <laughs> but, but still pe people are, people are tuning in and then tuning in again. Uh, they're, they're not just coming in once because Tennessee's winning and, and then bouncing. So I, not to toot my own horn at, at all, uh, but I'm I'm pretty proud of of what we're we're doing on game days. It's it's been great. There's no problem with the self promotion, the um, A to Z Sports Big Orange podcast and halftime shows and post game shows. I'm sure are similarly branded through your Twitter account and Zach Reagan's as well, who does a, a great job. Yep. And, and, I mean, you want to talk about someone who engages fans on social media and just puts things out for people to observe. It feels like whenever Zach posts something, even if it's 
blindly out of context that Vol fans will just spawn out of everywhere and be like, we're going to whoop their ass this week. I, to- I told him that he, uh, so he's, Zach has created sort of this persona of putting out um, just like viral Tennessee clips. Like yeah. great, he, he does a lot of like this day, 10 years ago, Tennessee did this and it'll be good or bad. It'll be, mm-hmm. you know, the, the too many men on the field at LSU, or it'll be the Juwan Jennings catch against Florida. It doesn't matter. He puts it out, whatever it is. And I, I told him he, he had kind of become the, uh, who's the, the t- Kentucky basketball player, uh, Rex Chapman. Rex Chapman. He's become the Rex Chapman of Tennessee, <laughs> but like just a little bit more original than Rex. Yeah. 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 He's, it, every, everything is not completely stolen and unoriginal. Like, Rex Chapman, but um, yeah, he's he. Uh, I, I I love everything he's putting out. It, it gets it gets the people going. Um, and yeah, he's dude's dude's an amazing co-host, and the show's popping off. So I got got nothing bad to say about the guy. He's great. I blocked Rex Chapman a long time ago. Oh, it's just, terrible. Just, whenever whenever there was an account that like used to like take stuff and pass it off as their own um barstool used to have a really big problem with that and i think i still have it unblocked too um but it wasn't out of hatred it was just out of come on man you have one job um i don't know what he's doing now the the viral tennessee clips i love that for zach and i think that when patrick murray and i and the others were at WBIR. I think that was a big appeal for us is that we had access to all these like broadcast beta tapes of like field mm-hmm. footage of when Peyton was there and when, you know, they won the division in 07, the, the four overtime game and stuff. And uh, it was just stuff that you could pull from. And if I could spend all day posting online, I would, but that wasn't in the job description at the time, but I mean, it's a treasure trove there, just dating back to the the eighties and, and a little and, bit before that. And Tennessee fans are so, and I, I include myself in this. I mean, yeah. I I am Knoxville native, Tennessee fan, born and bred alumni. Um, I mean, we just love that stuff because we're so because things have been so rough, we've become so connected to the old stuff. Where you go, like, oh, you remember those times? This is so. Great. And now finally, I was saying this today on our podcast. Everybody always looks back. I know, I know I do. This has always been such a huge talking point for me is I, we took for granted like the early 2000s. They had, you know, in 2001, they missed a national championship bid by losing the SEC championship game. I mean, they were that close. They were one game away from the national championship and they haven't been close since. And I remember thinking back then, like the next year, they had a little bit more of an off year and thinking like, how dare we lose three games? Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Phil better get it together. And having all of those thoughts. And now you look at it and like Tennessee fans in the last 10 years, we would have been ecstatic for a nine win season. And so like we were talking about it today, like don't let this pass you by. Because this is if if this year ends up, you know, you have we have a 10 win year sugar bowl, something like that, how it feels like it's going at the moment. You're going to look back at this and this is going to be one of those great years. And, yeah. and as, especially if, if hype will create something really special in the long term here, you're going to look back at that and be like, oh, man, remember when he we, it was so unexpected and he had that amazing first season, Hendon Hooker and all of this. And 
I, I hope that we're looking back on it like that. And so I, we, we were just saying like, enjoy this, drink it in, really appreciate it. Go to everything, go to college game day, go to the SEC network thing, go to the pep rallies and all this stuff. And so that you have all of these memories around it so that we don't get caught going, Oh man, we, we should have known we were living in the golden age. Well, here you are. Let's enjoy it. That is such an excellent lesson to learn. And I didn't, consciously think that but i was in school when zoo started off i think seven and oh and uh, they lost on the field goal of south carolina at homecoming and then um got raced by auburn in the conference championship but like i was at that game like we drove through a blizzard to go to atlanta and like we we remember that and i think that there's something special about heading into a saturday when your team is undefeated and regardless of position and rankings but like still has the best ahead of them so to speak I I can think of waking up at 3 a.m and driving to uh, Manhattan Kansas Um, OU was number five in the nation they were seven this is 2019 Jalen Hurts was the quarterback Um, simpler times for uh, Oklahoma Sooners fans but the the whole build-up to that and like there was an uneasiness but also like there's so much possibility and, uh, and wonder in the future that I think that the thoughtful Tennessee fan, the deep thinker, knows that that this is something really special. Well, and and we really broke through this. This is in in the weeds on being a, a Tennessee fan, but in the last year, we really broke through the barrier of we can win big stuff. Yeah. Baseball won an SEC title. Basketball won an SEC title, and we finally tasted that again. We tasted actual. Give us the trophy. Give us the rings we won the thing type of winning. Yeah. And I think now that they're getting it again in football, this is the precipice. Like those are great. At the end of the day, Tennessee, it's all about football. Football pays the bills. It's the biggest thing. And so they're, they're getting this taste in football and you can just see like the light coming on for everybody going like, Oh my gosh, are we really about to do what we did in basketball and baseball, but in football, is this really what's (laughs) about to happen? And that, that belief is is there and it's so amazing but i to go to your point about mizzou you're you're mizzou guy uh Look, you you went to mizzou right I, I did and that's the that's that's a example of a school that doesn't have a thing that like there were options to be great at anything and they were like no, no. but your your thoughts i'm just genuinely fascinated because I this nothing that I say about Mizzou is ever personal. It is. And I swear to you, I love a bunch of people that went to Mizzou uh, people. I look but, forward to this question, whatever it is. But the the school, I mean, my take has become. They're kind of leeching off the SEC now. They're not good at anything and they don't bring really a TV market and they don't like. And I know if this if most of your listeners probably from that area. So I apologize. Listen, all, all 10 of the people who are listening to this, they don't care. I, I let me tell you. Well, Missouri's got, you know, the St. Louis, the Kansas City market. They have an influx of student body from Chicago as well. Not that that would translate to TV money and, and Minnesota as well. But that's that's all. That's a conversation for another time. This Zoom meeting ends in six minutes too. Just keep oh, keeping on it. This hopefully we won't get we'll bounced like last time. Um, no, no, we're good. I my understanding is that there was a point in time 
where that administration decided that every sport was going to be treated equally and that it was mm-hmm. going that it was going to be we are going to be acceptable acceptable at everything and if we do succeed it will be because of the on-field product and the preparation that our coaches have put in gary pinkle was a good coach and he had figured out quite a bit of stuff Great to, coach. It, to yeah to at least you know i think the school of thought during his time and when mike alden was the ad was cupcake non-conference go four and four in big 12 and i eventually the sec you go eight and four you go to the independence bowl or whatever and you call it a day and that'll make the donor base happy and there was so much stability in the football program at that time um and it seemed like they'd had the heir apparent there and barry odom who was a very strong defensive mind and was loved by the players and at, at some point just didn't get what he wanted or felt slighted and um things just kind of nose dived after that because I mean he had Hypel as his OC and, and they were yeah. they were one of the hottest teams in football but they could never put together a complete season I go on Tennessee's butt I remember I was there I I can't and even when Derek Dooley was the OC they they hung 50 on him so all this yeah. to say there's mm, I also like I'm, I'm covering Northwestern at the same time too and that's very much like it's all private money that's being funneled they're about to redo their stadium which which will be super cool um but can okay but to to your point just obviously if you have any sway over there (laughs) um i think a huge thing that made a difference for tennessee since the shiano sunday for everybody that you know knows what that is where tennessee turned away greg shiano by riding in the literally riding in the streets uh Tennessee win in 2020 and they made an alumni and mega donor, the president of the university. So they made somebody, the president of the university who genuinely has fandom and money tied up in the school and things have never been better. Well, you know, the the sports were probably better in the late nineties, but the administration is probably humming a little bit better now. Um, And I, I had never even thought about that because you're mixing like that. That position is usually held by an academic. Well, the chancellor is an academic. They made the chancellor a stalwart academic. She's done a great job in my personal opinion. And then they made the president an alumni and a mega donor, Randy Boyd. And I think he, he sticks his neck out for the university of Tennessee, specifically on the sports side. And it makes a difference. He hired a big time AD and and really did it and here we are so just you know food for thought for the mizzou folks two things to that that's my governor go smokies um, <laughs> not so tennessee people will know exactly what that means and they'll laugh um i know who uh mizzou's president is and he is um an academic uh who went to harvard so good for them mm. that that's the sports tradition you're looking for um <laughs> Yeah, that's, they just, I mean, there's, there's, they're not a passionate thing. Um, There's not a passionate fan base and they should go out and get Matt rule. Um, The closest, where do you think he's going to end up? Matt rule, Nebraska. Okay. I had, I had my friend uh, Reggie Wilson um, covers the Vikings on here just uh, earlier tonight. And he also said that said Nebraska. They, they have such a passionate fan base. They deserve somebody. Give them Matt rule. 
10 seconds, the closest moment or event you could compare this anticipation uh, for the Alabama game to? Nothing that's happened in the last 20 years. I I mean, the closest thing would have been maybe a couple of years ago for baseball when they made the College World Series where you were on the doorstep playing for a national title, but that was baseball even still. I mean, that's the closest Tennessee's been to a national title in a major sport and Lord knows how long. And so... I mean, that I some of the old matchups with Pat Summit and Gino Oriemo were crazy. Ooh. They would sell out Thompson Bowling Arena and the game was on CBS and it was so contentious and bitter. And those were great. But I, I just don't know that it's replicable outside of 2001 after you beat Florida and you're playing in the SEC championship game means you go to a national championship. I mean, it's something like that just because the. There's so much pent up demand for winning at Tennessee that fans are just like, give us, give us the thing, give it. Finally, we need it so badly. Where back then we were just like, oh yeah, we always play. We're always in the upper echelon of football. This is great. Then, you know, we'll play for a national championship. Now they're just like so starved and, you know, craving it. So that's probably the closest I could give you. I'd have to think about it. That's off the top of the dome. But um, I mean, it's, it's been a long, long while, a long, long while, and this fan base deserves it. I hope the team delivers. Charlie Burris, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining the show. Look forward to seeing you next week. Absolutely, Luke. You're the man. Before we go, get Kanye West off social media. <laughs>